So continuing on, to repeat again the first part of verse 16, the mystery of godliness mainly was revealed, he who was revealed in the flesh. Who? God is what he's talking about. So it was the divine nature that took on the human form to redeem a man. The Gospel of John 1.1, in the beginning the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is referring to Christ before he's the Son of God, before he takes on human form. Prophecies reveal about him, but he was one with the Father, and actually the literal word with God means face to face. He is equal to God, okay? Makes this plain. Then in 10 and 11, he was in the world. Christ came and took on the human nature, and the world was made through him. He was part of the Creator. He created it with the Father and the Spirit, okay? And the world did not know him. When he took on the human nature and he emptied himself of the use of divinity. He humbled himself. They didn't know who he was, and the Jews would not recognize him because they were in sin. And that's why John the Baptist preached repentance. And those who repented and got their life right, the Holy Spirit would show them who Jesus was. But the Pharisees and the scribes could not because God isn't revealing himself to the wicked and those who will not repent and come his way. And so he told the Jews, he says, you'll die in your sins. You don't know me. He says, search the scripture. And yet they still couldn't comprehend because they were gross sinners. They were adulterers and thieves and covetous and hypocrites. By the time Jesus came along, under law of Moses, there were 49 or 50 rules. When Jesus came along, the Pharisees had 640-some rules. They were putting all these burdens on people. Tell them, do this, do that. And Jesus said, you don't lift a finger to help them. So they were hypocrites and false religion, and it was deceiving them further, and the Lord had no intentions. And they were the ones that said, well, show us a sign. And he said, no sign will be given. You're an adulterous generation. And the only sign that's going to be given is me raising from the dead. And they're going to miss that also. They thought he was a false prophet. And the truth wasn't given to him. God had no intentions of giving it to him, to wicked people. He sends delusions. See, people talk about Jesus, accept everybody as they are. No, he doesn't. There's not repentance and turning to him. The wrath of God remains on the wicked one. The love of God is his goodwill and benevolence to redeem man. But there's conditions that he does not love them unconditionally. You hear lots of lies. There are conditions. Oh, he has goodwill. That's the love he and benevolence. But it's not going to save them. And it says those who do not obey the Son, believe on the Son. Jesus said the wrath of God remains on them. That's still true. They will experience God's wrath in the day of judgment. And even in this world, their wickedness is despised by God. And he's not winking at it. And he's not overlooking it. He records everything. He sees everything. And everything shall be brought into judgment. Okay? And so we get down to 1 John 10, 
and eleven, like we say, he came to his own and they did not receive him. But then verse 14, and the word, the one that was with God, the one that is God, became flesh, that's human nature, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. He manifested himself on various occasions. Uh, He was transfigured once, and the three disciples saw that. They saw the divine nature come out. But see, it was limited time. He didn't show it to everybody, okay? And the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. He was the only one born that way. He was the only one that God took on the human nature through. through There are no others, okay? It says, full of grace and truth. He brought what the law could not. He humbled himself. He condescended. And when Philip later said, show us the Father, and Jesus said, how long have I been with you and you've not known me? He was saying, everything you need to know about God that's pertinent to salvation and man's life, you see in me. He didn't come of glowing fire. He came in humanity. And he lived it perfectly. They wanted to see the Moses, the fire on the mountain, and all that scared them. And God had to separate himself from them. And under the tabernacle, and only the priest could go into the sanctuary. Only once a year could the high priest go before the Holy of Holies. If you go at any other time, he was struck dead. God had to separate himself because of their sins and their imperfections. They could not see him and live in his full glory. Their humanity, their wicked humanity, their fallen nature could not abide it. And even Jesus tells us that. But he told Philip, if you've seen me for three and a half years, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. He made it very plain to them. And so he's wondering, how can you say? So if you haven't learned nothing in three and a half years, he's a little, he got perturbed, disturbed sometime. He got angry with the apostle. He said, how long are you so stubborn? And they were afraid to ask him things at time because he rebuked them. He expected more of them. He was not no mealy mouse person. They recognized him as a prophet and a teacher. It was only toward the end that they started to really comprehend who he was. And Philip was getting that. But when the Spirit came, then they understood fully. And that's why Jesus said to them, and they were having a hard time putting it together. He said, I am with you, but I shall be in you. And how was it going to be in them? As God. Jesus was the human. Jesus of Nazareth. He was the prophet, the teacher. He could not be in them. He was with them. But when he was glorified and the full use of his divine nature, then when the Spirit came, and the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, he entered them as God. And that's how he dwells in the believer. He says, the Father and I will make our abode in you. And how will they do it? My Spirit, me. See, he links himself. And this Lord is that Spirit. And he is the almighty God, the everlasting father. And people can't fully comprehend this. He doesn't reveal. He gives us bits and pieces. Some things he doesn't bother with because they're beyond our comprehension. 
but he tells us what we need to know. Okay, chapter 4, verse 1. Now, the way this is written, it says, but the Spirit explicitly says, or clearly says, that in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying heed to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. And he goes on, but getting back up, the Spirit explicitly says, it's believed while he was writing this letter to him, the Spirit came on him and gave him a revelation, a mystery, and he revealed it to him. We don't see this revealed before this time. So he possibly was writing them, and the Spirit inspired him then to tell them something. He said explicitly, plainly. It wasn't no hidden meaning here, he said. And what was that? That in the latter times, the latter part of the church age, the grace age that we're in, the new covenant age, now, it will stop when God judges, takes the true believers away, judges the world of wickedness, and establishes the thousand years of the millennium, when then he'll deal with Israel as the chief of nations, and he will deal with the nations in peace for a thousand years. But they're not the covenant age. We're living in that. We're living in the best of the ages on earth, okay? So he said, in the latter times, in the latter part of those days, some will fall away from the faith, okay? Now, the Spirit's telling them a mystery. They don't have to understand anymore or search. He said, I'm making it plain to you. And so he's moving in and to tell him these things. Some will fall away. Depart from the true faith. See, a lot of the lying heretics say, oh, that don't mean those that are really saved. That's just denominational churchgoers. Well, most of them aren't saved anyway. Okay. No, he's not talking about professing Christians, professing denominations and organizations and such. He's talking about the true born-again Christian. Some will fall away in those latter days. The spirits, they'll start listening to false teachers. They'll be mesmerized like the Galatians were. And they would give an ear to them instead of refusing it and holding to Scripture. They'll be lured away as Eve was lured away and deceived, okay? And so today we've got roughly 2 billion people who profess to be Christians. And yet Jesus said, he never knew them. Most of them have never been saved. So he's not talking about them. He's talking about those who are of the true faith and who are born again and once walked with the Lord. He's talking about the branches that bore fruit and then they stopped bearing fruit and the father cut them off and cast them aside. He said, if you don't abide in me and my word, this is what's going to happen. So he warned them. And Paul warned the Gentile church when he was telling how they were really happy that the Jews, when God rejected them, he chose them, and they were starting to feel special in a wrong way. And Paul said, he cut them off because of their rebellion, and they didn't listen to him. And they were of the true root and trunk of the olive tree. And he said, unless you continue in his goodness, you shall be cut off also. So he's talking to branches. 
He's saying God can cut you off too. And if some of the Jews later repent, he can graft them back in. So he warned them, you can be cut off if you don't remain in the goodness. To remain in the goodness of God is to uh, follow him and obey him and be led of the Spirit and not live self-indulgent, self-centered lives that you live for the Lord and you're bought with a price and you have your duty to him. Many people don't know that. They wonder, well, why does God bother me? I don't do anything. Oh, yes, you do. You don't serve the Lord. You were made to serve him and you're self-centered and trying to find your own life. And God considers it idolatry. He considers it an insult. Uh huh. So you'll be awakened at the wrong time. The end judgment day, many of them are going to be speechless. See, they'll know something then. And once they know all of that, they know there's no answer, that they are damned and cut off from God eternally. See, sin deceives and lies to people and comforts them in a lie and gives them false peace so they can live and do as they please. But those two billion in the world, Jesus said, I never knew you. You were never born again. But you professed me. You said, Lord, Lord. You believe mentally I died on the cross and rose again. Well, all Catholics believe that. All the Orthodox churches believe that. Most of the Protestants believe that. They believe that. He died on the cross, was crucified and resurrected, and they call him Lord. And yet Jesus said, I never knew you. You were never a part of me, okay? You workers of lawlessness, you did not do the will of my Father. And notice he didn't say you didn't believe who I was. They did. Mentally, they believed Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. But he said you did not do the will of my Father. You didn't obey and follow him. And you were lawless. You practiced sin. You didn't come out from among them. You didn't live godly lives. You live self-indulgent, self-pleasurable in this world. See, that's why, that's the judgment that he will have. And then he says, depart from me into everlasting punishment. And so that's what's going to happen to these people. And another thing we'll find, that as it gets darker and some fall away from the faith, and there's not going to be that many added, to it. It's going to get darker and darker. And how do I know this? Because Jesus said it will be as the time of Noah and Lot. Noah was the only righteous one. His son, daughter, they got in because of his grace. They may not have been excessively wicked, but it didn't say they found grace with God. It said Noah found grace with him. And Lot was the only righteous one. We know by the lesson that his wife was turned to a pillar of salt by disobeying the angel because her heart was still in Sodom. She didn't want to go. And the two daughters at least obeyed their father. They were engaged to a semi-marriage and Lot invited the sons-in-laws to come with them and they laughed and mocked him. He was the only righteous one. And the Bible says his righteous soul was vexed troubled by the evil deeds he beheld every day. Can you imagine the life he lived? He had no fellowship. No, he didn't have nobody, but he was there. And the Lord said, that's how it's going to be. Now, when Ezekiel and Isaiah's time, God was so fed up with the Jews, he was going to severely punish them. And he said, though Noah 
Job and Daniel were standing before me, they would only save themselves by their righteous living and not their sons and daughters. He was saying that they've been given so much light and truth, and they've sinned so great that if Noah was here, I wouldn't have saved his family because of him. If Job was here, I wouldn't have shown mercy on his children, grown children he's talking about. And the same with Daniel's friends. They got in because they were clever enough to stay with him and try to obey him. But it was those three that were called the friend of God and found grace with God. So at the end time, nobody's going to get in. Little children of the believers are covered, but God has no grandchildren. And people cannot live off uh, what their parents taught them if they don't continue with the Lord. There are no guarantees anybody can turn away and not follow the Lord. And many do and will. Okay? And so we see then, how will they fall away? Paying attention, listening to, and obeying lying and deceitful spirits. Okay? False teachers are teaching things that are promoted by devils. And that's why years ago when I recognized certain heresies, I don't listen to those teachers. Some of them can teach 90% good. I don't care what they have to say. See, it's the one, one vegetable that last year's time that was thrown into the pot. It poisoned everybody and until Elijah dealt with it. See, you can have a lot of good stuff. You can have lots of good vegetables, but all it takes is one poison herb to, to kill everybody in it. So if you are given over to one heresy, one gross sin, James says, if you're guilty of a part of the law, you're guilty of the whole law. And I've known people, I know people gifted teachers who can still preach and teach and people would get saved. And they were living in adultery and having an affair for two and three years. And people didn't know it. He was lost in his sin. God honors his word. Uh huh. And so we need to see that. Anybody, if they don't continue with the Lord, you start listening, they'll tickle your ear, and it sounds good, and you want to believe it because the carnal nature is selfish. And it wants to believe God loves me no matter what I do. And somehow God will find a way. And he'll always say, I forgive. And they're not scripturally sound. See, they don't think about the ones who the Lord says, he'll take his grace from you. He'll cut you off from grace. And Jesus said, and if you don't live for me, and if you deny me, I'll deny you before the Father. See, they don't like those scriptures. They want to be pacified. Oh, I'll be saved. I'll just lose a bunch of rewards. So I'd rather send it up and enjoy myself. See, that's the lying spirit. And they're going to be horrified. And they reveal their wickedness. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Uh All sin is a perversion of the truth. Man taking the things that God initially meant for good and abusing them and perverting them, okay? Now, people say, falling away from the faith. Okay, let's go to Hebrews chapter 6, 4 through 8. For it is impossible for those 
who were once enlightened, they're saved, have tasted of the heavenly gift, they've been born again, and Christ is in them. They have been partakers of the Holy Spirit. That's Christ in them, being used for ministry, being called for various gifts and ministry. He's saying that's who he's talking to, real saved people, real regenerated people. And they have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. They've been given mysteries. God's revealed himself sometimes in visions and dreams and given them experiences of what they know and communicated with them in special ways. If they fall away, notice the word there. If they fall away, didn't say they can't fall away. They said, if they fall away, that's the condition. He said, it's impossible to renew them to repentance since they crucify themselves again. Let's use the word again, the Son of God, and put him to an open shame. Well, there's two ways of interpreting this. Does it mean that people that backslide cannot come back to God? But that means there are those who do not, because if they go and listen to seducing spirits, or like the Hebrews, they were tempted to go back under the law. These were Jews. He said you'd have to trample Christ, and there's no salvation under the law. The law will accuse you and judge you. It cannot forgive you, and the old covenant's been abolished. There is no more sacrifice for your sins, so who's going to save you? And you would have to crucify Christ again, insult him. So you could not be saved. And at the same time, the Holy Spirit has the option, as God said, I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and I'll harden whom I'll harden. So God doesn't have to put up with everybody. Some people, he hardens more. They've been given more grace and more things, and he holds them accountable. He'll cut them off. He'll not show mercy. No person can come to the Lord unless the Spirit's working with him. And he has to do his own repenting and confessing. God don't do that for him. He helps him. And Paul made a statement too about those who'd fallen away. And he said, perhaps, that's the word he used, God will give them the gift of repentance again. And perhaps he won't. Perhaps he'll harden them. Perhaps he'll let them blaspheme the Spirit, and he won't deal with them. And they'll sear their conscience, and things won't bother them anymore. And they can live and be happy in this world. Uh But they're past repentance. But many people who fall away, under both covenants, God invites them to come back and turn. And James says, if one of you, brethren, departs and falls He said, and one of you convert him. That means salvation. He says, you've covered a multitude of sins because you convinced them to come back to the Lord, to repent, but they're lost. They're lost if they don't come back, see? So that's what he's talking about. And then quickly he says, for the earth drinks in the rain and it produces stuff, but and it receives a blessing from God. But the thorns and briars, he rejects it. And what is their end? To be cursed and to be burned. He's talking about the backslider that finally ends up without the Lord and not coming back. 
his end is cursing. The same way as the branches cut off from Christ, he says, and they will be burned. We know what the branches symbolize. They symbolize the Christian. The Christian is the branch. The vine is Christ. There can be no fruit without the divine side or the human. A Christian cannot produce fruit without the Spirit of Christ helping him. And Christ does not produce fruit in the disobedient and those who don't obey him. So for there to be fruit, and fruit is spiritual works, fruit is spiritual obedience. That's what it means. It's the abiding life of Christ. And once they cut that off and stop bearing fruit, they'll start to wither because the life of Christ is not in them anymore. And then the Father cuts them off and casts them aside. But if people repent and come back, he can graft them in. But he's warning, uh, and he's warning the Hebrew Jews, you endured a lot of things. You suffered the loss of many things, and now you're going to go away. So that's why he warns them. They were being tested and sifted, and some went away. But he was convinced. He said, I'm persuaded better things than you, because you're still here and you're listening to me. Not that they couldn't fall away like the heretics say, because that ain't what Paul said because he's still talking to them, and they're still there, and they haven't gone back to the law, but they're being tempted to do this. And so therefore, he gives them a sharp warning what you have to do. Trample the blood of Christ and insult the spirit of grace. He's the one that saves. He's the one who takes back the backslider. He's the one that you can't have no spiritual life without, and you would insult him by trampling the blood of Christ. So he's given them a very strong warning. Now the continue is, not only will they pay attention to lying spirits and teachings of devils or demons, number two, and by means of their hypocrisy, their lying, they sear their own conscience with the branding iron. These false teachers Some of them are good con artists. They know what they're doing. They're in it for money. But those who really believe it, it hardens and deceives them. The Pharisees were like that. They believed in the law, even though they added other things to it. They believed in what they were doing. Paul believed when he was turning Christians over that he was doing God's will. He believed that Jesus was a false prophet and that this Christian sect The leaders need to be put to death. According to the law, a blasphemer and an idolater was to be stoned to death. So he was doing what he thought he should be doing. But he didn't realize the Lord was dealing with him. And he was persecuting the Lord himself. And that's why the Lord said, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. The goads were used to train and harness the ox that wanted to do what he wanted to do. And so when he wouldn't follow the master's direction, he would take this uh, long pole, and sometimes it had a thorn on the end, and he'd poke him in his hip with it, and it, it hurt. And he would try to kick away from it, and he'd poke him a few times, and all he, the ox could do was either comply or keep being poked. So eventually he would comply. But he was given this, God was dealing with Saul's conscience. See, he was excessively angry and was ki- he was going beyond the law and 
the Lord was showing this because you're wrong, you're in error, but I'm going to get your attention. And that's what he did. So by lies and deception, the teachers themselves are given over to further hypocrisy. That's why they're so convincing, many of them. They believe what they're saying. These ultra-prosperity, these ultra-once-saved-always-saved, they believe what they're saying. And they're convincing. And they know how to flatter. And they know how to appeal to people's carnal nature to deceive them. And so they fall deeper and deeper into the lies, and they damn the souls of those who follow them. But see, Jesus made an interesting statement as we repeat it. He told Peter, leave them alone. If they blind lead the blind, they both fall into the ditch. The people being deceived deserve to be deceived because they're not stitching the truth. They're gullible. And in both testaments, in Jeremiah, the Lord said, you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. Well, they're not seeking him. They're not putting forth the human effort that God requires. He has to use their will. They have to consent. And in Anu, it said, he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So I've had people tell me, well, I've got four or five minutes. You can tell me what I said. I ain't got time. You're not worthy of the kingdom. If a person can't sit down for several hours and you give them the true whole gospel, and that's what they need to be given. The whole gospel is that confess Jesus and be born again. Or seven scriptures. These are lies. Uh-huh. Jesus said, go into all the world and teach in the nations everything that I told you. He didn't say, teach them how to get saved. Because teaching them how to get saved is just the beginning. Paul said they just began the race. Then he warns them about not being turned out of the way. And Jesus said, and those who endure to the end shall be saved. He didn't say it was the beginners. He didn't say it was the ones that confessed Jesus and lived like they please. He said, to those who obey the gospel. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, if you don't do what I tell you? That's what he said. You can't be a disciple. A disciple is a believer. He begins and he continues with the Lord. And Hebrew warns those that could be turned out of the way if they're not careful. Turned out of the race. They forfeit the race. So the pilgrimage and people don't like to hear it because they want false assurances. They want to believe in irresistible grace and, and they're saved and God loves me unconditionally. And you won't find that in Scripture. The conditions are you stay with him. Ephesians says all of these things, and the heretic uh, emphasizes, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Read what he talks about. Never once does he say sin. Because sin can separate you. He's talking to the people that are in Christ and who are being led. He says, then nothing can separate you from God. And there's no temptation that will overcome you if you stay with the Lord. But if you don't and you play with sin, it says you will be led into temptation and you'll fail. Yeah. If you make provision for the flesh and you don't listen, then you go your own way. And God does not override the human will, okay? So they are seared. Callous, we know what a callous is. The blister no longer bothers you. 
is past feeling. And so the Holy Spirit does not save people apart from their individual conscience. And the conscience is part of the human spirit, and it's the inner law that God has put there. And it knows right from wrong on various levels. And he expects them to listen to it. So when the Holy Spirit convicts a person of sin, he deals with the person's conscience. That's what he's dealing with. And then they have to exercise their will to receive the reproof or not to receive it, to refuse it. Most people who fall under the conviction of the Holy Spirit reject it. Very few of them get saved. We have that illustration to Paul's preaching to the Jews and the Gentiles. But it didn't mean the spirit wasn't moving. But they fought against it. They did not submit. And so he withdraws. See, he gives them opportunity. He opens their eyes. He unveils the veil for a while and shows them they're a sinner and they need a savior. And then they either accept that or they start to justify themselves or fight against it or say maybe another time and then it lifts. It doesn't abide with them. Okay, so they come to the place they have no conscience about these things anymore. They're hardened. And I've said it many times. There's only two main reasons people are deceived, and especially Christians. Number one is they do not want the truth, and when it disturbs their conscience, they want to believe something else. But they don't want the truth. People say, well, how can that be? Jesus of men as a whole love darkness rather than light, and they will not come to the light. So the human nature as a whole is like a roach. And when it sees the light, it runs for the darkness. But he said they could come to the light. And then if they do, God changes them. And if they exercise their will and obedience, then he graces them more. Uh-huh. And then they're like moths, they'll come to the light. But the wicked, even if they know it's the truth, they think what I don't know will hurt me, and I don't want to know. But it ain't going to change the fact. So as a whole, men don't want the gospel. They want to live the sins of pleasures of sin. They want to live their self-life, find themselves, be happy in this world. Because they have no understanding, they have a duty to God, to Creator. And he's going to hold them accountable. But see, most people, that's how they feel. But they don't have to feel that way. They could respond. He gives them the human capacity to repent, and then he helps them through with it. But God doesn't give people repentance and confession. He don't overwhelm them. They have to do their own repenting when he convicts them. And then he helps them in the way and cleanses their spirit of all wickedness. But it has to be with the consent. The plan of salvation is all God. The receiving the salvation has to do with man. If God is moving and convicting either the conscience or by the gospel, man has the ability to say yes or no. And God expects him to make a right to soar. He doesn't override him. So that's what's expected of him. And the other thing that deceives people, people uh, sin and Christians fall away. They sin against God by willingly doing things, refusing to repent when they fall into sin, uh, being lured by pleasures or wanting to find their life, being led away 
you know, to start listening to these easy preachers that tell them, well, you know, God knows you're human and you fail and he loves you unconditionally. So I've had people talk to me, living in adultery, fornication, and they tell me, well, I'm still a Christian. I just am not a disciple. And I said, you're lost and on your way to hell. And they hang the phone up on me. But they probably hadn't heard that. That preacher was telling them, oh, you're okay. Uh, You'll be saved by fire. That ain't where that scripture comes in. Oh, I've had many of them tell me in years past. Well, he's my savior, but he's not my Lord. There's no such thing. Uh, I'm a believer. I'm just not a disciple. There's no such thing. A believer is a beginning disciple. And when Paul got people saved in Acts, he said, if you continue, you are my disciples. He talked the ones who just got saved. If you continue. Jesus as Savior in the epistles is only mentioned less than 20 times, basically. Jesus as Lord is mentioned over 400 times. What do you think the emphasis is with God? See, people can believe Jesus as the Savior and not follow him. They can believe he's the Lord like two billion people do, and yet they've not submitted. They've not been regenerated. They do not keep his word. The love of God, John makes it very plain. He didn't talk about sentiment. In that scripture, he didn't talk about feelings and moods and how I love God and all this. He said the love for God, if you love God, is to keep his commandments. Almost got fired from a job one time because I told my boss, he said he was living in adultery. And I said, well, you're not a Christian. Oh, but I love God. I said, well, you're a liar. Because John says, if you continue in darkness and say you love God, you're a liar and the truth's not in you. It sort of shocked him a little bit. I'm surprised he didn't fire me. Okay, and so what we see in is the second reason is to willfully disobey and sin against the knowledge that you've been given. That's the only reason people and Christians can be deceived, and they're both with the consent of the believer. Let's go ahead and stop here at verse 4-2. Lord, give us wisdom. Give us remembrance, Lord, that we know all these things. We talk about them for years, but it's like Peter said, we need to remind ourselves of these things we already know, because if they slip away, they don't do any good. Knowledge without experience, knowledge without obedience is vain, and it'll cause a person to be judged more severely. Give us grace in Jesus' name. Amen.